to Landline Podcast. I'm your professional voiceover artist that Alex couldn't afford to pay. Instead, he's asked a friend, and I'm that friend, and he's very lucky to have me. You're lucky because on today's episode, it's the movie Annex. A married couple looking for a reason to argue in front of people even when they're home alone. That's cute and fucked up. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. You're listening to Landline. You are on the Landline. You are in studio. You are excited because you've got Anna. Hey, babies. You got Alex. And we are here for the movie Annex. 5.0. 5.0. It is at least 5.0. It's a beautiful night in Portland, Oregon. I walked through our beautiful picture window in our bedroom on our way to the studio and just thought to myself, what a gorgeous city we get to look at. Who needs to own a house when you can rent one for too much money, right? Ooh, la la. Let's not go there. Okay, so you're back. What I meant by 5.0 with the movie Annex is that you've heard many iterations where we went, we talked about the theater, we talked about the people, we talked about the movie. If it's your first time listening, welcome. So excited to have you. Anna and I go out to a movie and we review the experience. We review what it's like to go into the public in America in 2018 and watch a movie with them. But we're adding in a new element that we've had in the back of our minds forever and finally it's here and you know kind of reflective of a movie or excuse me a show i used to watch as a kid when Ooh. i was home dinner and a movie dinner and a movie loved that show on a and e beans and cornbread beans and cornbread had a fight that was their theme song so was it on a and e or something amc tnt one of those cable shows and they would show like goodfellas and then cook sausage with peppers and onions great show and cavatelli you know honestly if someone asked me what do you want to do with your life or what would be the epitome of you having a great job it would be a host of a cable television show in 1997 that cooked movie and then commented on cooked movie and commented on food (laughs) that's right you heard it here for so anyways we are out, we are introducing dinner and a movie of the movie annex dinner and a movie annex mm. or something like that. So welcome to Landline Podcast. Glad to have you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. So we went out to a movie that is very important to our life right here and now, and we went out to a restaurant that's very important to our cultural commentary right here and now. And there's this scene in JFK, Oliver Stone's incredible, you know, fake documentary of the JFK assassination starting starring Kevin Costner. And I was trying to find it so I could drop it. Maybe I will before the podcast comes out, but probably I won't. Where JFK leads his like 
entrepreneurial staff from his law office. He's the DA in New Orleans who is some for some reason investigating the Kennedy crime because it has all these connections to New Orleans. He leads them into this famous square in New Orleans. I swear this is true. Hopefully this truly exists in this movie. It wasn't JFK who led them there. No, JFK the was chief dead. investigator. Yeah, yeah. Jim Garrison, played by um, Kevin Costner. He leads them into this square in New Orleans and says, basically, we're at the center of a giant government conspiracy. We've got the apartment Oswald lived into or the, the house where Oswald handed you know flyers out during the communist revolution. We're across the street from the gay guy played by Tommy Lee Jones. Joe Pesci lived down the street. You know, all these characters, Clay Shaw, yada, yada, yada. Like, we're at the center of something big, and we need to do something about it. It's the end of the first act, and it is basically the, you know, blasting off point for the movie. Well, we have our own iteration of that. It's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm where you can't. There are elements of your entire in, of the entire fiber of your being that are related to the activity that you're about to embark on. And Let's for, go through it. And for us, that movie is I, Tanya, the biopic of Tanya Harding, based on documentary tapes. So, let's list all the reasons we are uniquely suited for commenting on I, Tanya. Number one, Portland, Oregon. She lived in the outskirts of Portland in Clackamas County. It's where the most recent mall shooting in the area was. She actually skated at that mall. That's number one. Number two. The Olympics. It is the Olympics right now. And we actually watched figure skating last night where a woman completed a triple axel for the first time in Olympic history, which was a major feature of this movie and Tanya Harding's career. Number three. I just had foot surgery. Anna just had foot surgery. You can't figure skate with feet that have been surgeried. And I could have sworn number four was Lloyd Center Mall. Needs to be corroborated from a source. Let's explain explain that to the, to the crowd. Okay, there is a 1980s shopping mall in close in Eastside, Portland, Oregon, called the Lloyd Center. And it is complete with an ice skating rink inside. And this ice skating rink apparently at some point hosted Tanya Harding, like her going away party to the Olympics or something. But there is a movie theater that is obviously joined to the Lloyd Center Mall and it just happened to be showing I, Tanya. Alex and I could not imagine a more appropriate conjoining of time and place. It would be like watching Patriots Day in Wall in Watertown, which but, we did. But there's no theater there, so we watched it someplace like Framingham. Or we actually Newton. watched it on our TV in Watertown. Oh, that's true. That's Sorry. true. <laughs> like right next to the police station. That's true. That couldn't have been. But God, we're okay. at the center. This is this it's is this, why we're. This is a trailblazing. Siskel and Ebert, go fuck yourselves. Seriously. So it's l- like watching Dances with Wolves in a stream in Montana. Actually, I don't know where that movie took place. Someplace like that. It's uh, like watching the Goonies in Astoria. It's like watching Boogie Nights in the Valley. So. The other element in play with the whole uh, mall breakdown 
is that um, just as a snob in general, anyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a snob. Well, I'm also an ice skating snob, even though I was a ski racer. I didn't even play hockey or figure skate for a living. Growing up in New Hampshire, you get to either figure skate, play hockey, or ski competitively, or you're a fucking loser, and I was a competitive skier. So the point is this. There's two kinds of indoor mall rinks. There's the one that is basically the Rockefeller Center version, which is like faux ice, a third of the size of, size of an Olympic uh, rink. You know, it's basically a phony rink. And then there is a sort of a full-size or regular-sized hockey rink with boards. The one that is shown in the movie, which I think is the authentic Tanya Harding rink, is in Clackamas Town Center where the shooting was. The one that we walked by on the way to the movies from Applebee's, by the way, dinner in the movie, Applebee's, was one of those Rockefeller centers. So was there no loss of sort of authenticity for you? You felt it was the same thing, skates, ice? Because I don't even know no, if that's really I, ice. What is that stuff? It is ice. I think it's some sort of like chemical compound. That might be the case. But I know for a fact that Lloyd Center, Tanya Harding, the two did meet. Okay. All right. Number, where are we on? Number four? Five. Number, number, number five. I know the woman who designed Tanya Harding's dress for the premiere of I, Tanya. Wow. More to come on that. Number six. I don't remember number six. Number six is that in October 31st, also known as Halloween. Oh, man. In 2012, I believe, we were back on the East Coast time two out of seven and we went down to New York City to see our friends Gabe and Meg, who we love, whom we love, and they didn't have kids. We didn't have kids. Were we even married? I can't even remember. No, I think you had just proposed to me. If this is all true, nobody will know. And we had we hung out in a Brooklyn apartment right off the Bedford Avenue stop. Once again, we're at the center of the universe. We hung out all day long talking about how we didn't have a costume. We were supposed to go to this party that was our good friend Anya's younger brother's house party at a loft. Don't forget the storm clouds were gathering throughout the day. Yeah, it was sleeting and snowing. A, a it was a freak snowstorm, six or seven inches. Slushy. You know, New York City, when it actually is snowing, is so great. It's 24 hours after, 24 hours after that it's a nightmare. And we were inside smoking bong, playing video games, day drinking, ordering food. It was the time of our lives. And we decided, I have no idea how, we should probably call Gabe and figure it out. We <laughs> this is such an epic costume. We decided that we would go as Nancy Kerrigan. Me. Tanya Harding. Meg. Jeff Galuli. You. And Oksana Bayul. Gabe. <laughs> So we went as those four people who are intricate to this story and to this movie, and now everyone knows again, especially Jeff Galuli, by the way, because I had this amazing mustache, and I cut my sideburns I mean, he off. looked doppelganger for Jeff. And we dressed up as these people, and we were all probably 29 or something like that, 28, whatever. We went to a party. We were all so excited. We looked amazing. Gabe was in full drag with Gabe a wig. Gabe looked amazing. He has like a skinny Russian leg that's perfect for Oksana Bayul. I remember shopping for Gabe's um, unitard with Meg. We went to the Buffalo Exchange, and Meg was like, I think this will fit him. And we all dressed up and showed up at this loft party 
full of Brooklyn kids who were cooler than us because they were younger. Half were dressed up, half were not, and nobody knew who we were because nobody they Ugh, were. It they, was the first time I felt old. Nineteen nineteen ninety four is when the skating of Tanya Harding, et cetera, went down, at least for this movie. And this was, so all these kids, we were born in, I was born in 83, you were born in 85. So I was 11, you were nine or eight. We all remember it. All the kids we were partying with were four, five, six, seven. None of them knew who we were. And we by far had the best costume. Everyone thought we were total douchebags. And now we had complete vindication 10 years later, which is what Landline is all about. It's true. If you know that Super 8 film is going to be cool again 15 years before it does, it is, that's Landline podcast right there. If you know that like kale is overserved at restaurants, then you're a Landline podcast. So that's it. Dinner and a movie. I, Tanya. Thanks for listening. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's the first. Okay. So there's obviously a lot of what it is it called like converge harmonic convergence happening which if you know us tends to send us into a little bit of a tizzy there's a lot of pressure for it to be an incredible experience so we figured you know what let's just kick this off with a little bit of saturated fat at our local america's favorite neighbor tell can you explain to people so I mean, we could even zoom out and let's just discuss zoom. the babysitter. No, well, let's 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 see if we need to fill time with the babysitter later. I mean, we yeah, there's there's an element of the babysitter here. We told the babysitter she should watch TV, and she had a copy of Pride and Prejudice, and <laughs> we felt like she was out landlining us. Honestly, it's true. So what's going on with eighteen year olds right now? Clearly, nothing. She doesn't drive, and she doesn't watch TV. And I was like, when I was eighteen. I was late driving with a TV, literally stealing alcohol from convenience stores. She's never not stolen alcohol. I mean, she's some no. someone she knows steals alcohol. Maybe. She's not a complete twerp. She was giving her babysitter outfit. OK, she and- talked to me about um, <laughs> what is it called? The Constitution for the entire ride home. All right. We love you, though. Come back again, Ellie. I so, love you, Ellie. All right. So, um. Just to zoom out, you know, food has been a major feature of this podcast here and there. But for anyone who isn't listening or if we just need to recenter sort of the landline point of view, there is a spectrum of food consumers in the world from, you know, everything is fast food or everything is brown and white um, to everything is, I don't know, grown in the backyard or sprouted or whatever. And we are pretty far down the spectrum. Most of our meat, if not all of it, comes from the farmer's market, which is a pretty big commitment. Everyone can get, like, you know, raspberries at the farmer's market. We're buying whole chickens. We're buying cuts of beef. We're buying a lot of pork. Um, We are shopping at the farmer's market every single week for our groceries. I go on Saturday and spend between $100 and $200 and then fill it in with a grocery store with stuff that, you know, just isn't doesn't make sense. And is that normal? How much do you guys spend on groceries? Just a curiosity of mine call the landline 503-894-8480 i mean if you go to your local whole foods three times a week because you're lazy about shopping you spend more more than that you spend 110 bucks every time and and so we're we're out there so you know we don't support 
chain restaurants. But I think that from an anthropological point of view, this was a really interesting thing for us to do. And honestly, we're both fat kids in disguise. I know. It's like I grew up in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and it wasn't if you go to Applebee's, it's when. And there was Fuddruckers. There was Outback. Nice. Pickle Bar. Yeah, Pickle Bar. And these were experiences that I really valued um, as a youngster. I, 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 would, I would say I took them for granted as the default landscape of eating out. Um, I had an eating out life with my parents, but like that sounds so fucked up. Sorry. But there was also where would you go with your girlfriends? Where would you go in high school with your buddies? And it was like IHOP and Denny's and Waffle House. And I have just incredible memories of breaking bread in yellow oil goo in um, Waffle House with with my buddies from high school. Can we go on a one of many tangents we're going to go on sure, here? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so you were doing that, and it seemed normal. And my buddies and I maybe went to Chili's in West Lab a few times, and uh, but we would go to sort of the local version of the you know burger, pizza joint that had everything, Molly's Balloon, and blah, blah, blah. But do you think, so let's say you're 16 and you're meeting your friends at Waffle House or Fuddruckers or whatever hideous restaurant you're going to. First of all, I'm interested is if has the food gotten worse? Have, have the animals become more tortured? I would say yes, but that's a whole nother side tangent. Do you think the 28-year-olds then were finding an alternative in that area and what was it? Like are people always doing the like hipster thing 15 years ahead of the oblivious teenager or was there no such option? Is it like a new iteration? Was Mary Lucy, your older sister, going to... Oh, she wouldn't be caught dead. But where did you go for, like, a fun thing? To the soda fountain? Like, what... To Sammy T's downtown. Okay, so it's all about the authenticity of the owner, which continues to be a common thread of people assuming that their food choices are good if it's an independently owned restaurant versus, you know, something that's a chain, even if the food is the same. But more on that later. But, so... You're looking at me crazy. Kind of lost you there. I'm just interested to know. You guys went to chain restaurants. Do you think everyone was going to chain restaurants then? Or do you yeah, think okay, teenagers okay. going to chain restaurants? No. Honestly, the mid to late 90s, maybe it was just me coming into awareness of my surroundings. But chain restaurants of that nature were novel and somehow seemed fancy. And I don't know if it's because you grew up in a place where they're not even allowed to be billboards, but it was the place to be. It was accessible. Right. Everyone could go. Everyone was welcome. And you were treated the same whether you were six 15-year-old girls at a table or the proverbial 28-year-old hipsters that you're talking about. And honestly, I kind of hung out with some older kids and, and they they were often at those places, but more likely the one the like privately owned ones downtown. Okay, so we went to Applebee's because there's basically because of this scene in Portlandia. You know, if we had to get down to our like basic love affair with chain restaurants, is this incredible scene in Portlandia where Kunal Kunal Nanjari. Kunil Nanjani. 
He's, a, he's also in Silicon Valley. He's so funny. Pakistani. He's, he's Pakistani. He's hilarious. I think he is Pakistani. He could be Indian. No, but there's like a joke about that. Anyways, we think you're hilarious. I know you're listening. So he is a waiter at a restaurant and Fred and Carrie go to L.A. and they like try to walk from the airport <laughs> or from the train station and they walk along like the highway because there's no sidewalks in L.A. and blah, blah, blah. They're starving. They end up at this sort of Cheney Applebee's restaurant and there's an incredible scene where it's called like 80 plates of the world around he, the world in 80 plates. <laughs> and he comes in and he, he says, you sell the seven seas of flavor. Wow. So tell us about it. Everyone loves hearing you anyways. They're just waiting in between my stupid monologues. Okay. So Fred you. and Carrie have 15 page laminated spiral bound menus in their hands and they're just talking to each other over them i'm so hungry i just need to eat something okay let's just get cheeseburgers and fries keneal shows up i think his name is john in the skit we just watched it johnny hey johnny johnny shows up and says we don't have cheeseburgers and they're like okay and essentially there is a rabbit hole that you fall into depending on what it is you want to order. It's, it's like, well, do you want that ferberized where <laughs> you cry it out until you're you're hungry enough to eat this garbage? Do you want this lobsterized? Lobsterized. It's called a smash burger. It's smile tea instead of iced tea. Wait, what's smile tea? It's tea with ice in yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So that whole joke kind of solidifies our love for American chain restaurants, Chili's, Applebee's. We love the commercials. Like, how funny is it that it's Shrimp Fest at, uh, you know, Lobster Town? What's that place called? Red, Red Lobster. Lobster. Or Outback Steakhouse with, like, the phony Australian accent. Like, the whole thing is such a joke that it's hilarious. It's all to the us. exact same food. It's all the exact same food. And. You think that if you go there, I mean, the marketing works. You think if you go there, it's basically like there's going to be like a butt plug waiting for you at your seat and all the drinks are going to be ice cold, never ending, and it's going to cost six bucks and you're going to be shit faced and have eaten like 5,000 calories and not even feel fat. It's like appetizers, entrees, and a beverage for one ninety nine. <laughs> so we went to Applebee's. We went to Applebee's across the street from the Lloyd Center Mall, which is in which is in Portland, in the city. It's a mall inside the city. And we pulled up, there was parking, and we walked in and there's the bar. And I haven't I don't think I've ever been to an Applebee's. Um I've been to Chili's plenty of times, but that's like, you know, you've never been to a Nike store, but you've been to Adidas. It's different. So we sat down and there's tablets on every table, and we'll get to how they're used later. But I mean, that's where the Applebee's of the world have gone. It's tablets. It's app. It's now it's Applebee's. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> and there was a huge sign on the wall that said "edibles," which we found pretty <laughs> funny because my mouth is watering. Weed is legal in Oregon, and it said "edibles and drinkables" or e- elixirs. Edibles and elixirs. And, you know, you want to have it be like fun and everyone's laughing and, you know, like there's a ton of cleavage and it's just like a good American time. Like the commercials. And right away, I was pretty depressed. Like I'd been psyching myself up for the entire week and it just immediately didn't pay off. And, you know, the first thing is like. Welcome to Alex's brain. So, well, here's a question. I mean, other than the fact that I'm a psychopath. 
does anyone else never know where to sit in a restaurant? Like, I, it's like too many choices. You could sit in the booth, but you could sit by the bar. And like, where is the most fun going to happen? That's my thing. Where is the perfect atmosphere of that restaurant going to be? You want to have like good people to watch. You want to have a good waiter. You want to have good TV. You want to like make sure you're not too much out of the fray. You don't want to be too much in the fray. Okay, now it's time to mention that showtime was 645. So we're showing up at Applebee's at 530, which... According to Mark Gresge, a beloved ex-employer of mine at Latoile Restaurant in Charlottesville, Virginia, his honky feeding time. It's tough to grab the vibes at 5.30 p.m. So we did the best we could. We grabbed a booth. It was a lovely spot to sit, and it was a bit of a perch. We could see everything going on around us, and ultimately when we're out there on the streets for y'all on Movie Annex, we're just taking it all in so we can spread the word and, and share our experience with you. So this is kind of all your fault. Okay, but if you're going to a restaurant where they will shoot a double margarita up your ass with a with a super soaker, isn't that where it should be a fun time at 530? It's like if I can't count on Applebee's to be like flaming my cocktail and like throwing my fajita across the bar at 530 in the afternoon. Where can I count you on? You know, if it had been Friday, it may have been different because it seemed prime happy hour with the girls at the office kind of environment. Yeah. Instead, it was like the disabled, the like it was. the like <laughs> it old was. lady taking her adult daughter and son out or were they married? It doesn't matter. It was. it was the mother and grandmother from the male cheerleading competition at it the Rose Garden. It was a bunch Garden. of people who probably worked at Applebee's and they were just like they're drinking on their day off. <laughs> All right, so we sit down and it's the drinks and there's like seven different menus, right? Everyone is a folder and they're all laminated. <laughs> Every one of them promises to like tinkle tickle your pink once you order. Like it's all going to happen. Is this too risque for you? No, it's just you can't, tinkle my pink. It's <laughs> a little interesting. <laughs> you you can't send this link to your mom anymore. Is that the problem? Yeah, that was the moment. Sorry, Mari. Um so so, well, tell us what happened. We didn't know what to get, but we just kind of went with all it. All right, so standard. I just saw, like, all the color drain out of Alex's face as soon as we sat down. He had been so excited. We worked our asses off to get the unmentionable babysitter. But regardless, we were going for it. We were having a date. We were going to an American restaurant. We were going to go watch America's Girl on her biopic at the mall. Like, this was pretty epic. As soon as we sat down... It was just lights out for my partner, um, as they say in Portland. <laughs> but essentially, he got a little bit lost in the menu. He wanted a burger. He wasn't holding the burger menu. He wanted a beverage. He wasn't holding the drinks and dessert menu. So he got a little bit stressed out. Plying him with softballs well this is here's the burger menu honey like why don't we get you a corona rita we got corona rita's oh but what about the men's downhill what i was thrown off the men's downhill was canceled because of high winds in pyeongchang so i 
I was excited about watching the men's downhill before watching a biopic on Tanya Harding, but it is hard. Like you want the blue lagoon drink and you want the like flaming chili pepper drink and you want the 32 ounce beer. And what do you do? How do you make decisions in those places? It's crazy. And so we ended up with a Corona Rita, which is a standard for us. Whenever we see a Corona Rita, we get it. <laughs> then now Corona Rita, for those of you who don't know, you're from Mars, but you it's basically a margarita with an, an inverted mini Corona that is sitting on top of it via a manufactured cock ring, cock ring for the neck of the Corona. So imagine a, a cocktail glass. In this case, it was a chalice full of. It was a pimp cup. It was amazing. Full of ecto green cooler <laughs> cocktail with a mini six ounce Corona upside down, pouring into it. And of course, the like part of the Corona Rita everyone loves is that the beer doesn't flow out of the beer bottle until you take a sip of the cocktail so it's like this you know it's Boyle's law it's exactly I don't know it's Murphy's law and so (laughs) basically we we sucked down a few of those not enough ice I mean every cocktail of that of that octane needs to be packed with ice but whatever we sucked that down and then we ordered and I wish I had gotten the like what was the menu item the signature Applebee's okay let me see if I can remember this I may have taken a picture by the way it was almost like a comic. You would be reading the menu and then there would be this little bubble that was like, feeling thirsty? Have a brew dog. Like, have a Michelob Ultra Light. Like, it was, it was so odd. And I know that millions of dollars went into the psychological warfare that is the Applebee's menu. That's the best part. I mean, the whole marketing dynamic of that parent company and they probably own 50 other chains and... It's like feeling a tiny bit gay and want to explore. There's a glory hole in the men's room, but not the regular men's room, the single occupancy family men's room. Okay, exactly. So this menu item was four cheese, mac and cheese with honey, pepper, chicken tenders. On top. And on top of that, bacon. So- I the bacon is stupid, but I gotta just give Applebee's and all these restaurants a huge pat on the back. Mac and cheese with chicken tenders is what everyone wants all the time. As I far think as when I'm I concerned. first started dating you, I saw you make a sandwich at the summit that was mac and cheese and chicken tenders. I worked at a bar restaurant that was basically an independently owned Chili's. For all intents and purposes, it masqueraded as an East Coast deli, but really rest in peace, Summit. Yeah, ultimately, it was you could get fish, you could get chicken, you could get beef, you could get everything. There was fifty menu items, and when you know when any restaurant has fifty menu items, none of them are done well. But the point is this: I had access to hand breaded chicken tenders and a fryer and an unlimited supply of both large-scale Italian bread, and all the sauces. I, I made the sauces. I made the blue cheese from scratch. I made the barbecue from scratch. I made the ranch from scratch. I made the buffalo sauce from scratch. Sorority sauce. I mean, I would make 16 quarts, which is more than a you know, regular you know American can lift because of how fat and out of shape they are. I would make 16 quarts of blue cheese dressing at a time. So imagine making that, making all the chicken tenders, having a fryer, 
who would not make a chicken tender sandwich and then just pour the buffalo sauce and the blue cheese all over it and then add pickles because who doesn't mm. want pickles with their buffalo chicken? I just like now it sounds good, but I remember sitting at a booth with you there being like, what the fuck is this kid eating? Do you think I'm fatter now than I was then? No. Are you just saying that? No. Was I fatter then? Yes. So you would have sex with me if I was fatter than I am right now. <laughs> Let's not get too carried away. Okay. All right. So we went to Applebee's. We had the Corona Ritas, and then it was time to order, and Anna really led the charge. I ended up getting a, a hamburger, and I'm so disappointed, but why don't you go with what you ordered? I was really attracted to the $87 million photo shoot they did of their burgers and ended up ordering a quesadilla burger sub veggie patty for the beef because no way in hell am I eating that meat and I was not disappointed it was a patty pressed between two crispy tortilla shells with well flour tortillas that flour were tortillas that i'm were, trying to sell it and i'm already off the rails no well just i mean describe it correctly it was flour okay tor- flour tortillas pico de gallo nice totally seasonal in so seasonal february in oregon just iceberg lettuce that's always good that's so good and then there was some sort of sorority sauce um that was vaguely cheesy it was damn good it looked good. It looked better than my smash burger or whatever it was. So I am really attracted to the burger combination at restaurants that has the bacon, the fried onion straws, the cheddar cheese, and the barbecue sauce. It's true. And I wanted that on a fried chicken breast, but I scoured the menu to and fro to find that fried chicken breast sandwich that I could then substitute. And I should have just asked our gay Albanian waiter to do that for me because I'm sure he would have gone around the street and borrowed some chicken tenders from the Cheesecake Factory if he had to. But ultimately, I couldn't find... We know they have chicken tenders on the menu because of the four cheese mac and cheese. Just, I couldn't... I didn't know if I could do that and, like, would the iPad pick it up and how would they ring it in and does he he know how to do a sub? And, they? I mean, you know, honestly, who are you if you're Elaine Bennis ordering the big salad if you go to a restaurant with 97 menu items on it and you have to order off the menu. Let's get back to our gay Albanian waiter. We had kind of a revelation about that. Yeah. So he may not he wasn't Albanian. In fact, he was probably from Arkansas and that was something that got Alex and I feeling kind of grateful for a place like Applebee's. The food might not be all that hot, but Applebee's was a place that this person could land as he was getting the fuck out of Fayetteville. So there was this moment where I was like trying to find redeeming qualities in Applebee's and there are some. And uh, one of them was that we wish we had had this like handsome 23 year old gay waiter that was down the street so to speak from our table who was doing like a table of 18 and he was from twin twin falls idaho or someplace like that but yeah to reiterate what you're saying it dawned on me that all these rest chain restaurants they are too corporate at the top level to deny anyone 
a job because it would be in their worst interest to have some sort of, you know, giant scandal about three legs or gay or transvestite or whatever it is. Transsexual. What? How are we supposed to say it now? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> just tell me. I think it's transgender. Okay. So they don't want to get involved in any of that and ha- be it on, have it be on CNN and Trump will say, we don't care. We don't need transsexuals to like be serving our chicken tenders. The point is this. If you want to, like, get the fuck out of your shitty town and move to Times Square, Red Lobster, to get a job for your first 18 months in New York City, you can make that happen. They're not if you work hard, if you smile, if you do your job. And honestly, there might be like a kind of a gay scene inside these chain restaurants. I think there is. And the sort of more deep analysis that we did at that table is that just because you're gay doesn't mean you're not like a farm boy or a sort of like country tonk out of this small town in whatever you came from. You still want to feel the warmth of like the Applebee's that was the main provider of food in your town that everyone went to. You were into the high school football team. You were into like making fun of so-and-so's mom. You were gay and maybe you didn't want to turn into Matthew Shepard, but you did want to like still feel that sort of like Americana warmth and normalcy that you got at a chain restaurant and you could get that anywhere if you just got in your car, drove it across the state of Idaho or wherever, got to Portland, shared an apartment and applied for a job at Applebee's. So that was something nice. It was nice. So, anyways, our food was fine. We're not going to, like, go into details. Actually, my food was terrible. The problem is there's two kinds of barbecue sauce. There's a kind that tastes like molasses out of a bottle, and there's a kind that tastes like vinegar. And I'm a vinegar guy. I like a ketchup, like, dark barbecue sauce that's thick, but it's got to be vinegar-forward with a little spice. I can't have some sweet molasses bullshit. Anyways... Several times throughout the meal, Alex said, this meal brought to you by sugar. Yeah, it was just the margarita was sugar. The barbecue sauce was sugar. The ranch that I ordered on the side was sugar. The fries looked like so pale and needy. And I wanted like a pile and they gave me like a portion size that someone in corporate told them in Louisville that they couldn't, you know, portion out of. The burger was fine. I know you want to get away from the food. and we got to get away from Applebee's. I see you. Well, that's exactly how I felt. Especially Let's get away. The skiing was postponed. The last thing I'm going to say about this meal, and this is where I actually have some expertise given my background. Okay. okay. Here I go. Here I go. Let me get my notebook out. Okay. So. Here's okay. The, wait, wait. Okay. Go. Here's the thing. Basically, any food you're eating in the country at a restaurant that is, you know, made of meat contains an animal that lived in miserable life, never was outside, and then was shot in the head and taken to a horrible... Or electrocuted. Taken to a horrible slaughterhouse full of illegal immigrants who aren't allowed to go to the bathroom (laughs) while they're working. It's not funny. I'm laughing because I'm so uncomfortable. So that's the situation So I think it's interesting that although 18 months ago, I sort of thought that Applebee's, Chili's, Pizza Hut, Domino's, Domino's is a great example. We've had a couple of Domino's ordered pizzas at this house recently. I am not sure that the local pizzeria that is using, you know, cheese from Cisco or U.S. Food or Cash and Carry 
is is using any different quality of food than these chain restaurants. And I wish I could call my friend Rob, who I think I might before this podcast is over, to post, but I probably won't. Anyways, I'll take that part out. Ultimately, look, there is this weird thing where you think you're getting good food when you go to fancy restaurants. The reality is there is no way possible that the cost of food at a restaurant can be low enough if it's high quality that they can serve you a meal that's within a price tag that you're willing to pay. So just think about that. Basically, Applebee's, the cow I ate, was definitely tortured. It had a miserable life. I think that's probably the case with the single, you know, local, not local food, but like local joint that you're going to get a burger at. I don't think it's any better. So just something to think about as you're di- as you're dissecting these restaurants. Boring? All that's, right. That's interesting. No, it's interesting. There was a tablet on the table. I kind of want to zoom by that. We don't really know what it did. We know that it collected our information. I took a survey. Oh, I, yeah. and <laughs> I put Landline Podcast in the yep. survey. So we looked at each other. We looked at our watches. As longtime listeners know, I'm a bit of a nervous movie goer. I like to be there early so I can catch all the trailers. But... I knew that the next step that we had aspired to was so essential in this story. So we paid our bill and I hobbled my little broken feet out the door with my husband and we got our butts to the indoor skating rink at Lloyd Center Mall. And that's where you're going to have to hear the rest of the story on Landline Podcast. We will see you next Tuesday. Remember, you got to tell your friends. The phone number is 503-894-8480. Slight aside, I talked to one of our longtime listeners this week. He is a friend, but he's also a committed listener. He says this whole show has been informing the way he interacts with technology, and he said he hasn't told one person about the podcast. That is not okay. I'm giving you guys one year of weekly episodes, and if you don't blow this motherfucker up, you're not getting this podcast anymore. So tell a friend, play the show, pick your favorite one, I don't give a shit if you feel uncomfortable about it. This is not making me any money. Less people than Rick Steves are listening. And I told you that that was the goal. And thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend. 503-894-8480. We'll tell you about Itanya next time on Landline Podcast. Siskel and Ebert, go fuck yourselves. Seriously. Ishii, we love you. Landline is hosted, written, and produced by Alex McKay. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. Ichi, we love you. taking this show to the top, baby.
You're listening to Landline. 